preach because I'm going to make you mad, or I take it up because I'm going to forget. Uh, we'll see which one I'm doing this morning once I'm done. But uh, yeah, uh, the kids are going to go upstairs with Keisha. Right, Paul? You're, you want to chill this morning, right? That's fine. Keisha's prepared. Yeah, so Keisha, the kids are going with Keisha this morning. So we're going to take up our offering. If you guys need to give an envelope, you can raise your hands. And uh, let me just say, you guys make it possible for us to take the gospel everywhere we take it. Um, two things are common everywhere I go and minister. Two things. Everywhere I go, I have those who come up to me. This is what I've learned. At every church, someone has somebody from eastern Kentucky. Everybody's connected to Appalachia. And the other thing is in every church that I minister at, there's someone who follows Grace Point Church. Amen. So you guys make that possible. So uh, if you need to give an envelope, raise your hand. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to give. We speak blessing over each and every seed sown. In Jesus' name, amen. So Angie, you got some announcements? Thank you. Uh, Jeremiah just wants to let you know that him and Stacy send all their love. They're ministering in Knoxville, Tennessee. So they're enjoying some Smoky Mountains. I know, uh, I bet that the fog up there is quite beautiful at this time because we saw some in Eastern Kentucky when we were there this weekend. Down there, sorry. <laughs> Down there. I'm from Eastern Kentucky. Everything's up there. <laughs> Everything's from up there. Uh, just, you know, just a quick couple of things. This Thursday, of course, we have our service, and Grant will be sharing on that day. And then um, September the 10th, we're going to have a taco bar right here after church. So be thinking about your favorite taco items that you want to bring and share, and hopefully they're not too hot, right, Stephanie? Not too hot? <laughs> not too spicy? Can't guarantee nothing? Take your chances. That's it. That's all we have. Awesome, awesome. All right, guys, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, let me just clarify something on our Thursday evenings. So in our advertisement, we've got 6 o'clock, but Jeremiah and, I, Jeremiah and I had this idea when we started these things. We was like, all right, our plan is to start at 6.30, but if we tell everybody 6.30... They're going to show up at 6.40. So, um, well, everybody's figured us out. So, we, even though the advertisement says 6, our, what our goal is we fellowship the first 30 minutes. You know, from 6 to 6.30 we fellowship, just get to know one another, and uh, just have a good time. So, if, if, you're, if you're wanting to come and it's after 6 o'clock, you're still good. All right? Cause we, we, but we do try to honor your time, get you out of here by 7.30. Unless Logan's preaching, he's longer. I'm kidding. I think we all know which, who's the long-winded one of us. You're about to find out. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. So, uh, two weeks ago, I ministered on the authority of the Scriptures. And we're not finished with that. I want to continue that this morning, that thought. 
But really quick, I want to do some review. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. What's those first two words there? All Scripture. Some of Scripture. Some of Scripture or all of Scripture. Just the New Testament. All of Scripture. Just the epistles. All of Scripture. Just the book of Revelation. Only if you're a weirdo in the cave, right? Uh, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, that word inspiration literally could be translated as God breathed. You can't say anything without breathing. As I release words this morning, I'm releasing my breath. All right? So, he's literally saying that all Scripture is the Word of God. All right? All Scripture is the Word of God. And let's read on. And is profitable for doctrine. Now, let me ask you something. When Paul said this, what did he have? He had Genesis through Malachi. He didn't have Ephesians. He didn't have Romans. He didn't have 1st, 2nd Corinthians. There's a third one out there somewhere, some, somehow. Uh, but anyways, he did not have these New Testament books. He had Genesis through Malachi. And here he is saying, hey, you know Genesis through Malachi? You can make doctrine out of that. Now, that will get me stoned in most of the churches that I minister. And I don't mean stoned like out in, when I lived out in Colorado. <laughs> it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. Hmm. Now, look here, but let's get this down. For instruction in righteousness. Now, Genesis through Malachi Keeping those things can never make you righteous. They were not given for righteousness. They were given for instruction in righteousness. Now this is why I say that, because it's not enough for you to just go around saying, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now I'm good. You are good between you and God. But listen, you were created for a purpose. All right? And if you want to know what that purpose is, listen to me. I can sum it up for everybody in here in one word. Love. Love God, love people. Right? But we need instructions on how to do that. Because I said earlier, the American culture, in the American culture, nothing is sacred. Well, also in the American culture, love is up, the definition of love, everyone has a different definition. So God, in his love for us, he gave us boundaries. And said, love will never go outside of these boundaries. All right? Now, remember, there are things, and I say this every week that I teach on this, there are things that went to the cross, and there are things that went through the cross. All right? To the cross, for example, animal sacrifices, to the cross. We know that animal sacrifices stopped at the cross. Temple worship stopped at the cross. Now, thou shalt not steal, through the cross. How do I know? Because Paul said, let him who steals do what? Steal no more. All right? Uh, you shall not murder through the cross. All right? So there are things that went to the cross and through the cross, and we do need to rightly divide that. And remember, rightly divide the word of truth. Here, Paul was not saying throw out the part of the covenant that you're not under. How do I know that? That was written in 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is 2 Timothy 3. So it's literally like the next breath. Paul says, so in one breath he says, rightly divide the word of truth. But in the next breath he says, but all scripture, all of the word of truth. 
is given for uh, doctrine, for reproof, for correction. All right, so we don't throw any scripture out is what I'm getting at. But look here at verse 17. That the man of God may be complete. Now, listen to me. And But I thought I am complete in Christ Jesus. Here's you a paradox. Paul says that all scripture is given that you may be complete. Thoroughly equipped. I thought I had all things for life and godliness. But here Paul says, see this is the way I read things. If he makes a statement, I also read it in the opposite. That means that if I don't have all scripture, then I'm not complete. If I don't have all scripture, then I'm not thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, that's where we have to understand spirit, soul, and body, correct? In our spirit, we're one with Christ, we're complete, we're united with Him, we're righteous, we're holy, we're sanctified, we're without a single fault. But you are not just a spirit. I have preached behind this pulpit, you are a spirit. You are not a spirit. It's me correcting myself. You're welcome. Amen. I'm not making you do it. You are... According to 1 Thessalonians 5.23, you are a spirit, soul, and body. You are a tripartite being. What's that mean? You're a being with three parts. You mirror the God, the Elohim, who is a trinity. All right? So we are a spirit, a soul, and a body. And so listen to me. It's not just enough. Now, for your salvation, yeah, once you... Uh, once your spirit is born again, you're sealed, you're one with God, you have security in Him. But how many knows the author of Hebrews said, we are those who believe of the salvation of the soul. So we keep going. We say, all right, the work, is fin- the work has begun. See, the work is finished, but it's not automatic. All right, we're going to get to that here in a minute. But so... If we don't have all Scripture, if we are of those who say, well, all we need is the epistles, all we need is the New Testament, all we need is the Old Testament, then we are not complete. And we are not equipped for every good work. All right? Now, I know it starts making you nervous because you're like, oh, gosh, he's going to preach on shrimp and Leviticus 19 and all that stuff. I'm not. I'm not. But we do have to... Sometimes, listen, there's no nice way to kill a sacred cow. And we have grace sacred cows. And I've learned there's no nice way to kill it. All right, so, um, yeah. Mark chapter 7. Yeah, all right, yeah, yeah. Mark chapter 7, verse 9. So we're just, we're reviewing. Let's go through these kind of quick. So last time we asked, are the scriptures the word of God? Because again, remember, there, there's a grace sacred cow. Jesus is the word of God, not the Bible. Well, I agree that Jesus is the word. Um, John 1, verses 1 through 3, and verse 14, make that clear. Revelation chapter 19 makes it clear that Jesus is the word of God. So let's see what the word of God said about the scriptures. We already seen in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by the breath of God or by the word of God. Look at Mark chapter 7. Verse 9. Like I said, I'm going to move through this quick. If you didn't catch that last message, it's up on YouTube in the podcast. He said to them, all too well you reject the commandment of God. What did he just say? The commandment of God. 
that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, who said? Who said this? Moses. Moses said what Jesus is about to quote. Honor your father and mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. Who said that? Moses said that, right? Verse 10, or verse 11. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban, that is a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother. Verse 13. Making the word of God. The word of God. But he just said that Moses said it. Well, who said it, Moses or God? God said it through Moses. Thank you, Tani. Right? So here we have Jesus using three terms in, in unison. He says, the commandment of God, for Moses said, the word of God. So here we can make the conclusion that Jesus considered what Moses said, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, some say Job, the word of God. So here is the word of God saying what Moses said is what? The word of God. All right, let's look at another one. Uh, John chapter 10, verse 30. John chapter 10, verse 30. I and my Father are one. So, in other words, whatever Jesus thinks, you can bet your last dollar that's what the Father thinks. All right? Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. Which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself God. Jesus answered uh, them, Is it not written in your what? Law. I said, You are gods. If he called them gods, to whom what? The word of God came. So notice, he just called it the law. Now he's calling it the word of God. And then look here. And the what? Scripture cannot be broken. So notice here what he does. did the same thing he did in Mark 7. He says the law, uh, the word of God, and the scripture. So we can conclude that according to the word of God, that is Jesus, that the scripture is the word of God. Do you see that? All right, we, we, so we can't deny it. So is the scripture, so can I call the scripture the word of God? It depends. Do you want to talk like Jesus talked? And if Jesus talks that way, guess who else talks that way? The Father. All right, 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going through these quick. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. All right, so we've established Genesis through Malachi is the word of God. But then there are people who say, yeah, but you know, Paul... And Peter, they didn't consider themselves scriptural writings. All right, hold on. Let's, let's read this. 2 Peter 3, verse 15. And consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him as written to you, as also in all his what? Epistles. So Romans, 
1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, all the way through. Some say the book of Hebrews, that's a little bit debated. But most of our New Testament would fall under this category. Um, In all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand. Listen to this. Which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also. Now notice, if he said as they do also the scriptures, you could have made the argument Peter didn't consider Paul to be writing scripture. But that's not what he says. He says, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. In other words, Paul, uh, Peter considered what Paul was writing, which is most of our New Testament, to be the word of God, the scriptures. But now Paul, Grant, Paul was too humble. He didn't think that of himself. He would never have said that. You don't know Paul. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 After this, we're done with our review. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul speaking here. This is, and listen to me. 1 Thessalonians is Paul's first epistle. So from the get-go, we have Paul telling you what his writings are. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard from who? Huh. Which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is, look here, in truth. If Paul did not consider his his writings to be the word of God, this would have been a really good time to nip that in the bud. This would have been a really good time to go all Barney Fife and put an end to it. Right? The older folks got that one. You're welcome, right? Um, Which also affects which it is, in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So here we see, and I laid this out two weeks ago, the scriptures are the word of God. And this idea that we can have a relationship without the word of God, without the scripture, can I tell you what it is? Shouldn't have looked at Logan when I said that. Uh, Yeah. It's stupid. Now listen. Grant, that's not nice. Stupid is a biblical word. It's all through the book of Proverbs. All right? So take it up with the Bible. The idea that you can have a relationship with God. I didn't say you have to read your Bible to be saved. I didn't, I didn't say that. But now, the reason you got saved in the first place was at some point you heard the Scripture preached or shared. Right? But you can't enjoy fellowship without God, without, uh, fellowship with God without the Scripture. You can't. All right? It's not a biblical idea. And if that's stretching you, hear me out. If this is stretching you, it's because... You're not as passionate about truth as you think you are. I know people who are passionate about grace, but they're not passionate about truth. Now, granted, it says grace and truth came back. Yeah, but listen, not everything being called grace is grace. Not everything being called grace is grace. There is no grace without the truth. 
Now listen, like, like for example, I shared this with Jeremiah recently. For years, I've done this. I'm sure Jeremiah's done this. Logan's probably done this. I've sh- we've shared in ways and said, well, we're going to preach this in light of grace. Listen to me. That was me being stupid. I'm not interested in preaching things in light of grace. I am interested in preaching grace in light of the Scriptures. Which means I am interested in preaching hell in light of the Scriptures. Salvation in light of the Scriptures. Righteousness in light of the Scriptures. Healing in light of the Scriptures. I don't need to preach things in light of grace. Why? Because grace is in the Scriptures. So if I'm preaching the Scriptures and I'm rightly dividing the word of truth, I'm preaching things in light of grace. Deuteronomy chapter 11. We're gonna, let's begin with verse 21. Let's begin with verse 21, and then we're going to jump up to verse 18. Now, I want to look at this in the King James Version um, because this is something, I like the way the King James says it. Deuteronomy eleven twenty one that your days may be multiplied and the days of your children in which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. Now let me ask you something. I've preached this dozens of times before I've seen what I'm about to show you. I've preached, I've heard others preach that you can have days of heaven on the earth. How many of you agree with that? You can have days of heaven on the earth. That's what it says. You can have days of heaven upon the earth. And this is the way I would preach it, and I've heard others preach it. You can have days of heaven on the earth, uh, you know, through, through grace. You can have days of heaven on the earth uh, through fellowship. You can have days of heaven on the earth through prayer. You can have days of heaven on the earth through worship. All these things, you can have days of heaven on the earth through faith righteousness. But there's this funny thing called context. That really messes us up sometimes. Go up to verse 18. Because in the the 21st verse, it starts off with so that. It's the end of a thought. So let's find out what that is. Deuteronomy 11, verse 18. Therefore you shall lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may, they may be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall teach them your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and upon your gates, that your days may be multiplied, etc., etc., that you may have days of heaven on the earth. So listen to me. There is no days of heaven on the earth, scripturally, without the scriptures. So if we pull it out of context and say, if you'll just enjoy fellowship, you'll have days of heaven on the earth. If you'll just enjoy prayer, you'll have days of heaven on the earth. If you, on and on with you. No. This is, and it's not just somebody that's got a Bible reading plan. It's not somebody that's like, I've got to knock my chapter out. It's not, some, it's, not, it's not just that. It's not quoting Scripture. This is describing a person who is consumed with the words of God. This is describing a person who is spending all their time meditating upon the words of God. 
They talk about it when they're sitting in their house. Their kids, while their kids are playing, they're teaching them the Scriptures. When they're eating, they're pondering the Scriptures. When they go out and they have coffee with somebody, they want to just talk about the Scriptures. And I know you hear this and you think, your, your preaching works. No, I'm not. Listen, Scriptures consume me. I, and listen, when I, I have hobbies, I have things that I enjoy, but even when I'm enjoying those, in the back of my mind, the wheels are turning and meditating and pondering Scripture. Right? Days of heaven upon the earth. Does that sound good to you? That, that sounds good to me. But it only comes one way. Consumed with the Word of God. Alright? Let's, let's go on here. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verses 2 through 4. And I'm, going to, I'm moving through these quick and then I'm going to camp out for a little bit and make some points. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How many things? All things. Now, when you read that because it's past tense, we get this weird idea that since it's already been given to us, don't worry about it. Look here. Uh, Pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given, notice that's past tense, to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So listen what he's saying. Yeah, all things have been given to you, but they... Here's the way I've preached that in the past. Well, yeah, you know you have all this stuff in your born-again spirit. I believe there's truth to that, but context, all things have been given to you in the Scriptures, in the promises. And if you'll put these promises in your heart, then you'll escape the corruption that is in the world. Then you'll escape the curse of the law. Right? You've been redeemed from those things. But until you put the word in your heart, that's not going to be your experience. All right? So, because listen to me, guys. We talk a lot about the finished work, the finished work, the finished work, the finished work, the finished work. One, the finished work of the cross, not an accurate statement. Did a whole message on that in the past, how do I know that? Because Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, you are still in your sins, your faith is in vain. So there's something that happened between the cross to the resurrection that finished the work. I digress. It is finished with speaking of the law, whole subject, whole another day. But listen to me. The work is finished, but it is not automatic. And we got to be careful. I'm not going to say stop. We have to be careful that we don't teach the finished work in such a way that people sit there and think it's automatically going to work, that it's automatically going to happen, that it's automatically coming to pass. All things have been provided by grace, but you only have access to grace through one way, faith. Wherein we have access into this grace by what? Faith. Later in that same epistle, Romans chapter 10, Paul would say, now faith comes by hearing and hearing by the what? So, would it be wrong of me to say we only have access into this grace 
through the Word of God. We only, and if, if we're not trying to access grace, if we're not going to the Word of God, we're not accessing grace. You can call it grace all day long. It's not grace. Because grace can only be accessed one way, through faith. Faith can only, be, can only come one way, by hearing the Word of God. Do you catch that? All right, does that make sense? Who, nope, none of you. All right, let's, let's, well, come on now. I'll, I'll hammer it all day. Listen, I'll do like Logan Thursday night, and I'll preach up here. All right? Don't, don't make me do it. Don't make me do it. I've got dress shoes on. I'm sure he had ball shoes on. Don't make me do it. Um, listen to me. Let me say this. Let me start here. Let me start with the meanest one and work my way to the nicest one. The Scriptures have never been the issue. Never. 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 People say, well, Jesus came and he said, yeah, you've heard, but I said, the issue was not, they did not hear those things in the law. They heard those things through the teachers of the law. See, because there was the laws, but see, we miss this in our culture. We miss this because we don't understand history. Historically, what happened was, God gives Moses these laws. Now, again, remember, they don't make you righteous, but hear me out. God gives Moses these laws for the children of Israel. And what he says is, all right, this, these are the boundaries of love. These are the boundaries of how you should behave in community. But when the Pharisees and the Sadducees came along, they created, hear me out, what was known as fence laws. So if the law was, don't step on the chair. Don't step on the chair. So, look, I can be this close. Am I stepping on the chair? So, according to the law, I'm good. But fence laws, the Pharisees and the Sadducees said, we better put a fence so he can't get anywhere around that chair. Because if he gets around that chair, he's going to step on it. But if we put a fence up and he can't get close to it, then, then he's going to obey it better. That's called the Talmud the, the Jews, this is what they lived by more. That's why we just read where Jesus said, your traditions. The traditions was not the law. The traditions was how they had interpreted the law. So the problem has never been with what was written. And I'm going somewhere with this. So listen, Mark chapter 4, you remember that? We're not going to turn there, but Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower. Jesus said, if you don't understand this teaching of mine, you will never understand all teachings, any of my teachings. I make so many people upset every week because they send me a message and they're like, what about the parable of the unjust steward? What about this parable and that parable? And I never answer them by explaining that parable. I answer them by telling them, you need to go study the parable of the sower because if you would understand that parable, you'd understand all the parables. Why? That's what Jesus said. Um, But anyways, in the parable of the sower, it tells about four different grounds, which represents the heart. So four different types of heart. And the seed that is sown into the ground is the Word of God. Now, in that parable, the Word is never the variable. The Scripture is never the variable. In that parable, what is the variable? The heart. The problem has never been what is written. The problem has been with the heart's of men. Luke chapter 10, 
verse 25 and 26. I want to look at this in the King James as well. And Jesus taught this. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? We, in our grace camp, we completely miss what's going on here. Because we're so focused on the fact that someone just asked what they may do to inherit eternal life, we focus on that. We miss the lesson which is in verse 26. Verse 26. He said unto them, listen, so he wants to know, how can I inherit eternal life? Jesus answers him with two questions. That's like me when people say, what about this parable? And I'm like, well, what about the parable of the sower? Right? I'm just doing what Jesus did. Get mad if you want to. But he said unto him, look here, what is written? Question one, what is written? The second question he asked, what's, it, what's he asked? How do you read it? So what is written and how do you read it? The problem isn't what is written. The problem is how we are reading it. Everyone in here has a different perception than the person sitting beside them. This is our issue. Hear me out. And that's one of the reasons the Father sent the Son so we could all have the same perception. Listen to me, guys. Listen to me. The mind of Christ that we go around, lost my car keys. I have the mind of Christ. 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 That's not what that's talking about. How do I know? Because in Philippians 2, let this mind which was in Christ be in you. Let it. It's not something that's automatic. It's provide. What, what was he, what's the mind of Christ? I think like Jesus does. I read like Jesus does. I understand like Jesus does. How do I do that? I, I look through his teachings. I look through the lens of Jesus. All right? So Jesus said, what do you read? How do you read it? Go with me to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 and verse 7. And listen, my goal in teaching this, it's not to make you go back under the law. We're going to get to in a minute how you can read those, those things. Uh, look here at verse 7, 2 Corinthians 3. For, but if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing... Uh, away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Uh, Paul really liked the word glorious. Uh, Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Now look here. Unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. Now here, verse 14 is what we're here. But their minds were blinded for until this day the same what? Veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. Now listen to me. In this scripture, the problem is not the Old Testament. The problem is the veil. Because he goes on to say, because the veil is taken away in Christ. So here's Paul preaching on the differences in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, and he's making the assumption 
that if you would just remove the veil, you can still read the Old Testament. Because listen to me, guys, there's a difference in the Old Testament and Old Covenant. It's another story, another day. But listen, verse 15. But even to this day when Moses is read, read, where's the veil? A veil lies on their what? Heart. So the issue is what? The heart. The heart. The issue is not what was written. The issue was how it's read. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 20. Listen to this one. He who has a deceitful heart. In the Hebrew, that literally says, he who has a crooked heart finds no good. A crooked heart reads the Bible and all they see is, look how mean God is. Why would God do that? A crooked heart perverts it and says, you will be righteous if you do all these things. A crooked heart reads this and finds no good. So when Jesus came along, you know what he was walking in the midst of? A crooked heart people. You know what he called them? You perverse and crooked generation. What was he talking about? Crooked in their heart. So they found no good. right? So listen, I'm aware a lot of us have come out of legalism. A lot of us have heard the scriptures abused. The problem wasn't the scriptures. The problem was the crooked hearts of those preaching the scriptures because they needed to keep their leadership. They needed to keep their salary. They needed to keep you in bondage. They were the problem. What is written has never been the problem. Man, if you don't shout, I will. My God, that is good. That is good. Why? Because it tells me that I can, listen, I don't have to throw this out. Because it's been abused, I don't have to throw this out. I can go to my father with the veil lifted and say, Father, speak to me through this. Father, I realize I'm not under the old covenant, but I believe there's something for me to learn here. See, because there's the letter, and we think the letter is the Old Testament. Nope. And we think the Spirit's the New Testament. Nope. The letter is how you read, and the Spirit is how you read. Because Paul's only talking about reading one thing in 2 Corinthians 3, the Old Testament. So the letter is me reading saying, well, if you don't do that, you're not righteous. If you do that, you'll be righteous. But the Spirit says, well, I'm already righteous by my faith in Jesus Christ. Now I want to catch the spirit of what was being said. Do you understand every commandment that God has ever, ever given is a revelation of His morals? See, we've got to quit reading it and saying it's, it's, it's the instruction to righteousness. We, uh, it, it's not. It's instruction in righteousness, not to righteousness. But hear me out. Oh, my gosh. Help me, Jesus. All right. Let's just go on. So let me say this. So the Scriptures have never been the issue. Here's my next point. The Scriptures' ultimate purpose is to reveal Jesus. I found this this morning. This is new, this is new revelation to me, so sorry, guys. I didn't back this up to give to you. But go with me to John chapter 5. I gave you verse 39. But I want to go up to... I want to go up to verse, let me see here. Let's go to verse 31. Is this blessing, you guys? Listen, I want you to leave here with a newfound appreciation and a new love for the Word of God. 
If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. So now, you have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He who was the burning and shining light, lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his life. But look here, verse 36. But I have a greater witness than John. Who's he talking about? He's, he's talking about John, but, but who's the greater witness? The Father. All right? For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. Now, where did the Father testify of the Son? He's about to tell you. Look here. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. Verse 39, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. Listen, this book alone is not enough. Alone. Like just the letter of this book is not enough. There are people who... Uh, interpret this, people who write books on this, people teaching in our Bible colleges and our seminaries who are who do not have the Spirit of God in them. But they can look at culture, they can look at history, they can look at tradition, and they can write books about it, they can teach classes on it. Searching the Scriptures is not just enough. But look here what he says. And these are they which testify of me. So where did the Father testify of Jesus in the scriptures, in the scriptures. Now, I want to show you something, and if this doesn't spark a revival in your heart, nothing will. Go with me to John chapter 7, verse 37. Listen, this right here is powerful. John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, verse 38, here's what's so powerful. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, keep it right here. Something you need to know about the Greek language. There are no punctuations. There are no capitalizations. So whenever you see a comma, a period, anything like that, a capitalization, the translators have put that in there because to them that's what makes the most sense. So something you can actually do when reading the Scripture is you can play around with that. And you're not changing the Word of God, right? Because you're not adding, you're not taking away. You're just removing what, or adding what man has put in there. So, this is the way it reads as translated. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The idea is that the scriptures say that out of the heart of a believer will flow rivers of living water. Now, here's the problem with that, guys. There's not one scripture that says that. Now, there's scripture that implies that. But there is no scripture that says that. Look it up in commentaries, things like that, and you will find arguments about what Jesus is quoting here. Well, what if we remove 
that first comes. He who believes in me as the scripture has said. He who believes in me as the scripture has said. I understand. Listen, I'm from Appalachia. I'm a little slow too. I get it. Listen. So then what he would be saying is that it's the person who believes in what the scriptures has said about me. This is the one who's out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Do you want me to tell you what is the dam that keeps us from experiencing the, the rivers of living water in our churches, in our culture, in our lives? We don't believe in a Jesus according to the Scriptures. We believe in a Jesus according to politics. We believe in a, a woke Jesus. We believe in a conservative Jesus. We believe in a uh, grace Jesus. We believe in a word of faith Jesus. We believe in a Baptist Jesus. We believe in a Pentecostal Jesus. We believe in the chosen Jesus. We believe in, uh, the, the, we believe in the passion of the Christ Jesus. We believe all these versions of Jesus. But that's not the Jesus we are called and invited to believe in. The Jesus that we are invited to believe in is the Jesus that the Scriptures define, that the Scriptures describe, that the Scriptures speak of. Listen, the Word of God became flesh. This Word put on a flesh body and said, let me show you His original intention. Let me show you what love really looks like. Let me show you what grace really is. Let me show you how faith really operates. Let me teach you about life. Let me give you days of heaven upon the earth. That, ladies and gentlemen, that is having the mind of Christ. All right? So, he who believes in me as the scripture has said, if you want the rivers of living water flowing in your home, flowing in this church, flowing at your job, begin to repent. What do I mean? Begin to say, Father, I'm sorry for believing in a Jesus of my own making. I'm father, I'm, 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 I, I repent of making a Jesus based on my tradition of, of, of stained glass Jesus. Logan calls it. Listen, I grew up with Appalachian Jesus. Now listen, I know it sounds funny, but I'm serious. And I found out that Appalachian Jesus isn't the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I found out that Appalachian Jesus is not. Do you realize that the, the, the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the God of the burning bush? Oh. Before he corrected each church in the book of Revelation, the first thing he did, he gave them a fresh revelation of himself. So when Jesus wants to give you a... When Je, listen, when Jesus wants to correct you, when Jesus wants to teach you some things, when Jesus wants to teach you grace, 
when Jesus wants to teach you how to operate in faith, when Jesus wants to teach you how to walk in love, he will always, the first thing he'll do is he'll give you a fresh revelation of who he is. And that revelation will always come from where? The scripture. Logan brought this out. Logan, Logan brought this out on Thursday night. The book of Revelation, when you read it, seems like a dude having an acid trip. All right? Let's just be honest. Seven-headed, ten-headed beast and things like that. But the book of Revelation is 22 chapters. In those 22 chapters, John quotes or alludes to 1,000 references of the Old Testament. In 22 chapters... And I could sit here and preach to you for the next hour and I might be able to hit 10. You can read the book of Revelation in one hour. And in so, doing so, you read over, over 1,000 allusions to the Old Testament. So John wasn't preaching anything new. What God gave to John, you know where he was giving it to him from? The Scripture. Hmm. Man, 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 my gosh. See, the Scripture... I used to read the scripture searching for rules. Now I read the scriptures in search of Jesus. And I find him everywhere. It's like Waldo. You guys remember those Waldo books? Where's Waldo? I was just looking at one the other, the other night. We was shopping with the kids and I was looking at a Where's Waldo book. You remember that? You'd sit there and you're like squinting. You're like getting a headache trying to find Waldo. It's like, oh my gosh, how stupid am I? And then what happens? <gasps> There's Waldo. You can turn and do the rest of that book. You can go away for hours. But every time you come back to that page, what's the first thing your eyes look at? Waldo. Once you see him, you can't unsee him. This book is like, where's Jesus? And he's on every page. Because these are the scriptures that testify of him. Hmm. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. I, I got I to gotta hurry up. You guys are drawing out of me. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. Now, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Now, here's another one of those things. We teach that the rest is Jesus. Jeremiah just did a whole series on this a few months back. The rest is not Jesus. How do I know? I have known Jesus for almost 20 years. And I've known him as a, I knew him as a child, even growing up, but I've been born again for, over, for around 20 years. There has been a lot of those years I was not in rest. So Jesus is not the rest. What's amazing is, though, the author of Hebrews tells us what's the rest. So this whole chapter is about entering into the rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of uh, disobedience. Verse 12 for the word of God. Here's what's interesting to me. We read about that rest, and then we get to verse 12, and we act like he just is totally changing the subject. 
No, he's telling you where to find the rest. And where does he point you to? How do I know this is connected to verse 11? Because of the first word. For. This isn't a new thought. It's a continuation of the previous thought. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than it than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. Now listen, this is one of those things where I hear people say, well, this is Jesus. Jesus is the Word of God. Well, here's our problem with that. Whatever this Word is, it pierces even to the division of soul and spirit. Now, let's do something. Since Jesus will give us the difference, the division between spirit and soul, everybody just get real quiet. And Jesus, right now, is going to show us the difference between our soul and our spirit. Anybody get anything? No. You know why? Because this is referring to the Scripture. The, how, do I, how does it divide what is the soul and the spirit? The soul and the spirit, the soul is you. You have thoughts that are not from God. I know that's hard for people to believe. They act like, listen, I had a bad thought. I have the mind of Christ. That was clearly a demon. No, that's just you with an unrenewed mind. Like I've heard people teach that, that, you know, anything negative is not you because you have the mind of Christ. Listen, that's stupid. I mean, let's just be honest. It is. I'm sorry. Let me talk about myself. I can be pretty stupid at times, and stupid people think stupid things. I know there's just going to be somebody that's going to walk up to me after this and say, Grant, you're not stupid. I really wish you quit talking about yourself that way. Listen, me and God have established this. God may not be able to call you stupid because it would be an offensive term to you. But I'm from Appalachia, and it can be a term of endearment, believe it or not. Bless your heart. There was, there, was a lady, there was a lady, I heard I heard somebody preach one time, and they was like, God will never call you stupid. And I was sitting in the congregation, and I thought, God literally told me I was stupid just like yesterday. <laughs> it's nothing. Listen, he may not call you stupid because maybe you're not stupid, and I am. I don't know. But... Let me say this. Maybe nobody in here is stupid. But everybody in here has occasionally played a stupid game. And stupid games win what? Stupid prizes. Amen. So if you're not a stupid person, you probably won some stupid prizes. Amen. So, so listen to me. So the Word of God, the Scriptures, will show you, yes, that's you. Yes, that's God. No, that's not you. That's God. All right? The Scriptures will show us that. That is why you need the Scriptures, so you can know what's coming from you, what's coming from other people, what's coming from your perception, and what's coming from the Scripture. Verse 13, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him who must we, whom, by whom we must give account. We give account to this word. Every time you open it, I think it was Derek Prince who said, I opened the Bible, I opened the word to read it, but I found out that the word was reading me. That's powerful. That's powerful. 
Now, let me, let me bring this out. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 9. How many of you, because I just said it like 30 minutes ago, but uh, how many of you have heard the saying, it's popular and it's a, it's a true saying, I just said it earlier, that if you take the text out of context, all you're left with is a what? A con. All right, that's good, that's good, but hear me out. There is also a con in context. First Corinthians, let me show you what I mean. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord, and Cephas, which is Peter? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? What Paul is actually dealing with here is the, the argument that ministers have no right to take a salary or that they have no right to receive an offering. All right? Um, verse 7. Whoever goes to war at his own expense, that's a question. When you go to war, you don't buy your own gun. Who plants a vineyard, vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? You plant a garden, you're going to enjoy it. Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man, or else does not, does not the law say the same also? Here's where I want to point something out. Verse 9. For it is what written in the law of Moses. So remember, Paul's sitting here and he's dealing with these people saying, you have no right to take a salary. You have no right to take up an offering. You have no right to live of what people are giving to you. <laughs> For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the ground. Now there are grace people who would walking today, who had came up to Paul and said, Brother, if you take the text out of context, you're left with a con. You're taking that scripture out of context. Because listen to me. Go read it. You can read that in the Old Testament. It is not about the priesthood. It's not about uh, pastors taking a salary. It's not about receiving an offering. You know what it's about? An ox and how to treat your animals. Dan got it. Listen, so here's Paul dealing. He's stressed out. He's got these people talking about him. He's got these people accusing him. And they're saying, you have no right to do that. And Paul is sitting here reading the scripture or meditating upon the scripture and he comes across the scripture that says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And Paul says, there's my answer. But yet, if you only stick to the strict context, if Paul would have stuck strictly to the context, he would have conned himself out of a revelation. He would have conned himself out of a lesson that God was teaching him. All right? So listen to this. This is powerful. 
So, and then he goes on to say, is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it all together for our sakes? We need to realize that what is written was written for us. And let me, let me bring, this is a good Bible interpretation rule. There is one interpretation. Only one. The interpretation of that verse that Paul quoted is pretty simple. Don't bother an ox. Don't get onto an ox while he's eating some of the grain that he's treading. That's the context. That is the one interpretation. But the application, there's one interpretation, but there's an uncountable number of applications. Right? Don't be so concerned with the interpretation. Listen, I'm not, I am a teacher. I love to teach the interpretation. I love to teach the context. But what I found is the reason so many people get bored with the Scripture is because it's not... Remember what the author of Hebrews said? It's alive. Don't forget that this book is alive. Moses wrote this thousands of years before Paul. But when Paul read this, when he meditated upon it, it came alive to him. And suddenly, it was, he, suddenly Paul was the ox. And the grain was the offering. And he said, wait a minute. Well, if God says an ox can eat some grain while he's treading, then surely I can take some money for my needs while I'm preaching. So the scripture is alive. Listen to me, guys. Everything I have overcome in this life, I, I mean this, every, since I've been born again, everything I have overcome in this life has been the result of God quickening a scripture to me. Everything. I don't care what it is. You guys know the story of when our son, uh, Jordan, was in the hospital in Denver on a ventilator for over a month. God quickened the scripture to me that he causes us to always triumph in Christ Jesus. I could have quoted. Now listen, how many knows there was 1 Peter 2.24 by the stripes of Jesus I'm healed? But do you know that the re 1 Peter 2.24 has never healed a soul? That's why there are people all over this world this morning going around saying, I'm standing on 1 Peter 2.24. I'm standing on. But because it's not been quickened to their heart, it's not alive in them. All right, so everything I've overcome. Uh, I'll give you another example. When Graham was three or four, he was not speaking a single word. Not a single word. I went to God about that. And I said, all right, God, I need a verse. I need a scripture that I can, an anchor. Connie calls them uh, uh, anchors for the soul. The book of Hebrews talks about that. I like that. I need an anchor for my soul because, my, because I, was, I, was, I was upset. I was literally tossing and turning at night. All right? The scripture God gave me was out of the book of Ephesians. Who says, let your speech, or it might be Colossians, I can't remember. Let your speech always be seasoned with salt. That you may know how to give an answer to every man. I had it. Now, in context, is God talking about a toddler who's not speaking? But if I would have stuck to the context, I would have conned myself out of, out of a breakthrough, out of a revelation. I hate that word breakthrough, but let's throw it out there. Um, but yet when I got a hold of that 
and I began to speak it. And every time a worrisome thought came to my heart and came to my mind and tried to keep me up at night, I would then say, Father, I thank you that Graham's speech is seasoned with salt and that he always knows how to give an answer to anyone who speaks to him. Because we'd have people come up to him and they'd say, what's your name, buddy? He didn't know. He didn't know. He couldn't talk. He wasn't talking. You know, and everywhere you take a kid, people's going to talk to him, right? And so I began to, that, that word, that scripture came alive to me, and suddenly Paul wasn't speaking about apologetics. Suddenly Paul wasn't speaking about having the right interpretation. Suddenly Paul wasn't speaking about, um, you know, all of a sudden Paul was speaking of Graham. All of a sudden, Paul was speaking to Grant. And when I got a hold of that, and I planted that word in my heart, it came alive. And now, how many times has Graham interrupted the service? (laughs) Running that mouth, right? Last night, Keisha and I were literally sitting there like, we're about to go crazy because he won't shut up. I just, and Finn, my cup over, runs over because Finn is three, and it's like from the moment he gets up to the time he goes to bed, I'm like, did he, did he take a breath at all today? Or did he just talk the entire time? Did he ever stop to eat? I don't know. Right? So I'm just saying, guys, whatever it is you're dealing with, listen to me. This book, this is a bag of seed. And your heart is the soil. And listen, you don't need, I've had people, you know, I did this. Let me talk about myself. I've done this. All right, I need healing. I'm going to get all the healing scriptures. You don't need all the healing scriptures to be healed. You only need one. Quicken to your heart. Made alive in your spirit. That's all you need to be healed. Right? So it's it's so important that, that we just realize the power of the word. All right. Let's go to Proverbs eleven fourteen to close. There was more I want to say, but I'm gonna pick I'm gonna pick this back up. Next week, I'm ministering next. Jeremiah will be here leading service next week, but I'll be ministering. Um, Proverbs 11, 14. I'll finish this up next week. But I want to read this verse in closing. Where there is no counsel, the people fall. And remember I shared a couple weeks ago, I said, listen, just watch the fruit. And when I see the fruit of people who don't emphasize the written word of God, I don't like it. The people fall. Look here. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. This book, Logan, do you know how many people wrote? Between 35 and 45. So 25 to 35 people helped author this book through the inspiration of God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You know what I'd call that? That's a multitude. That's a multitude. And they are giving you counsel for how to love, for how to walk in this earth. 
for how to live. They, and there is safety in this book. There's safety in a multitude of counselors. There is safety in the scriptures. And remember what I said. This is the way I read the Bible. I, do, I read the opposite as well. That tells me that in the absence of a multitude of counselors, there is no safety. When we begin to try to relate to other people, to God, and, and try to live without this as our foundation, there is no longer any safety. We have removed ourselves from the safety. What we see today in our culture is a world that is devoid of a multitude of godly counselors. There's plenty of worldly counselors. There's plenty of, you know, opinions and things like that. But God's word is the multitude of counselors that we need. Think about that. That, that separates this book from every other religion. Over thousands of years, 35 to 45 uh, men in, wrote these scriptures down. And here's another thing. You know what's powerful to me? They were preserved. That is a bigger miracle to me than anything else. And if you need, well, why do you believe the Bible? The preservation of it is enough for me. The fact that there's 35 to 45, in this book alone, there's 66 different documents. The fact that they've all been preserved, that is a miracle. There is far more historical evidence that Jesus was who he said he was than there is that Julius Caesar even existed. And you know that when the... Um, What's it called? The documents found in the cave. Yeah. When, the Dead Sea Scrolls. When they were found and they looked at um, they looked at them. So these were found, what was it, 1944, 48, somewhere around there. When these were found and there were scriptures written on them, and they do you understand that I think, correct me if I'm wrong, it's like every scripture except maybe one. It was a very small number was found in those Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah. Yeah. So the preservation of this book is alone a testimony to its inspiration. Man, that's not deep. That's easy to understand, ain't it? That's... that's that's not deep. Listen, that's not deep. That's for the stupid folks, right? That's and that's me. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. We we can end the the video if we've not ended.